Brother Man did that, so I can too, I guess. He threw his coat down there. <coughs> got a brand new pulpit. I don't know how it preaches. I don't even know how it operates, but I got to get my water bottle. But if you have your Bibles, if you can go to the book of Acts, we'll be looking into uh, something in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, that I think is so telling. I think uh, the Lord is going to move us forward in his word and 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 in his heart for this church, in his heart for this church. We could preach through the greater kingdom of God this morning, but um, we can't do anything about anybody that's out there. What we can do is what's here. And so we're going to preach here this morning and, and just believe that God is going to bless and God is going to touch and uh, just confirm some things in our hearts. So Acts, the 11th chapter. And I just want to read. i got to do this again. I'm not prepared. i got to get my... Got to get my visual aids here. So, um, everybody that's not nervous, say amen. So, I was reading in this portion of scripture, and the Lord just just uh, popped this this out to me. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures, and then we will uh, exhort as the Lord gives us help. The 11th chapter, 25th verse. 25th verse. It says, And Barnabas went out to Tarsus to seek Saul, look for Saul. And finding him, he brought him to Antioch. And it happened that many of them were gathered to them in the church a whole year. And they taught a considerable crowd. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So you all remember that. And in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, rising up, he signified through the Spirit that a great famine was about to be over all the habitable earth, which also happened on Claudius Caesar's time. And according as any was prospered, the disciples, each of them, determined to send to those living in Judea still to minister to the brothers, which they also did, sending to the elders through the hand of Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. And Lord, we just take your word this morning. If you can just help us, help us to receive, Lord, your word enters into us. It's just like anything else. Whatever we receive, we become, it becomes part of us. If we receive your word, it becomes part of us. If we hear it and don't receive it, it does us no good at all. And so Lord, we ask you as we Take it in, in our hearing. There also will be planted in our hearts and germinated. Your word is, is so powerful, Lord. We just thank you for it. We ask you, God, be, that you would be exalted. We give you glory, Jesus. Amen. 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 I, I want to preach for a little while. The church is still standing. 
church is still standing. The only institution on planet Earth that has a 100% guaranteed success rate is the church of Jesus Christ. Everything else fails. We know that kingdoms rise and fall. We know, we'll go back to this chapter in Rome. Rome thought they could not fall. Rome thought they had conquered pretty much the known world, except places that didn't matter. But all the powers to be, all the armies of the world, they had conquered them. They had subdued them and put them under. And thought that they would reign. Remember Adolf Hitler. His plan was that they would reign a thousand years. They didn't make it even a couple years after he had said that. And it looked like they had the power to defeat. They were taking over Europe and and conquering with a strong hand, but yeah, their success rate, it fell quickly. However, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what has happened in what era, what generation, under what administration or power or kingship or country, the church of Jesus Christ has and will be 100% successful. Always. Forever. <clears throat> A couple of Sundays ago, I taught about out of the second chapter, in the second chapter of Acts, what happened after Acts 2.38. So we've got a lot of people who know what happened on the day of Pentecost and the culmination of the day of Pentecost when Peter got up, Acts 2.38, and they said, what shall we do? And Peter told them what they should do. And have stopped right there and, and sort of invented church whatever way they want to invent it after that. As long as you have that, Acts 2.38, then you just do church however you want to. <clears throat> but I found six things that the newly founded church continued steadfastly in. Does everybody remember that term, steadfastly in, continued in it? And so let's go over those real quick again. The first one was the teaching of the apostles. You don't have the teaching of the apostles, you don't have a church. Second one is koinonia. Koinonia means more than just fellowship. It means partnership. It means together, the body together, on the same team, going the same direction, with one purpose. Amen? If you don't have that, you don't have a church. Uh, the third one is the Lord's Supper. Remember remember my death? Remember by this? What the church is about. Who bought the church, who paid for the church, who put it in order, and we do the Lord's Supper. Without the Lord's Supper, you don't have a church. The fourth one was prayer. In each one of these, they were continuing steadfastly in these, in prayer. We don't quit praying after we get saved. Say, well, I prayed once, and that's good enough. No. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Then the next one was in giving. In giving. And we see that they, they went beyond, and they sold possessions and brought them, and they continued 
to give. Continued steadfastly in giving. Then the last one was, number six, in that chapter, was they praised God. They continued to praise God. They continued to thank Him. They continued to glorify Him. Just exactly what we did this morning. We praise the Lord. We don't praise church. We don't praise organization. We don't praise people. We have good brethren. We love them, but we don't praise them. We have some ministries that are good, but we don't praise them. We praise God out of all of it all. Out of what the church does, the praise out of the church doesn't go to the church and to the building, to the property, to the finances. It goes to the Lord. And so out of these six things, the church began this successful journey. While they were doing these things that had been put in place by the Lord, and I know that God institutes his work through his ministers. Now, everybody, not everybody believes this. Some people feel like, hey, we're just all equal on equal ground. Everybody's the same. You know, you, you have your ideas. I have mine. You have your views of the scripture, and I have mine. And so we all just come together, kumbaya. The other day, somebody was telling us that, that they go to a church where, where the pastor, he just comes out and in sandals, flip-flops, and, and shorts, and a, and a tank top, and he just, he just brings the word. I wouldn't listen to him for a second. Yeah, absolutely no respect of ministry, because ministry is not a cut, a cut above, but ministry is anointed of God. It always has been and always will be. It's part of the church. And say, well, I don't like ministry. I don't like there to be leadership. If you don't like leadership, you don't like the church, because this is how God established the church is on the back of ministry. <clears throat> you go with Paul and, in Ephesians 4, and he names those ministries and, and shows us, you know, the, the, the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and, and brings to us, don't forget about this, because the job of the ministry is to not get people to heaven. That's kind of an old thing that I learned as a, as a kid it's the minister's job to get people in. It is not the minister's job to get people into heaven. It's the minister's job to keep the oracles of God, to keep the doctrines of God in place in the church. So that it's clear to see that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus is the one that gets you ultimately to the place called heaven. And so he uses his apostles to put the church in place. But he is the builder. He's the master builder. Can you say amen? The apostles are not the builders. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. It's not the apostles' ideas aren't going to work. The Lord's ideas are going to work. And so all of these things that I just that I just mentioned, these these six things, and there's there's more different things in the scripture than those. But these six foundational basic truths of the church were not instituted by the apostles. See, that's just apostles' ideas. We don't, it just, you know, that's what Peter thought. And I don't really, I disagree with Peter, so I'm just not going to take that. No, these were established from the Lord, master builder, into the early church via or by through the apostolic ministry that was in place in the body of Christ. 
at that time, they didn't have a bunch of churches in Jerusalem. You know, well, I don't like this one. So I'll go to this other one because they have different, you know, doctrine. They have No, no, no. There was just one Christian church. And that was an apostolic Christian church in which the apostles heard from the Lord and then they submitted that to the church and the church was organized not under just the ideas of ministry, but they were organized under God's ideas. Can everybody say amen? And so if that's the case, and if Jesus already told them in Matthew 16, same guys, same men that were there establishing the church, those same ones, he told them in Matthew 16, I will build the church of me. You're just going to be on my team. You're not the builder. I'm the builder. You're the one who's going to carry out the mission to build the church. And I thank God that they did it. Can you say amen? And they did it right. They did it right. Just They had no church. They had no pattern. It's like Moses, you, you know, he's going to build a tabernacle. How could Moses build a tabernacle unless God showed him how? He had no idea what to do. These men don't have any idea what they've grown up in a synagogue. They don't know what the Christian church is about, and so they are relying that what the Lord tells them is going to work. Because if it doesn't work, remember Gamaliel said to the council when they were trying to bring the church in and punish them, Gamaliel rose up and said to the council of the Jews, he said, if this thing is not of God, it'll just fall apart. But if it is of God, you can't put your hand on it to stop it. And I want you to know something. It has not fallen apart. So Gamaliel was right. He's a wise man. He said, if this is of God. So when I look at the church and I see what's going on, I can see that God has caused the church to be sustained over these many generations of time. Can you say amen? And so we go back to what he established. It must be right. It must be what he instituted must be right. And so let me mention this, and I think I might have said a little bit, but I, I, I want to mention this again. The success of the church the covering of the church, the keeping of the church is in following the design. The gates of hell cannot prevail against what the Lord builds. However, if the design is not followed, go all the way back to Moses. Moses it said in the book of Hebrew, God warned Moses that you must do it after the pattern that, that I call out, that I show you. Why do we think that the church does not have to be done under the pattern that Jesus showed? Because if it's not done under the pattern that Jesus showed, it is not protected from the gates of hell. We're seeing it happen. We're seeing movements. One of the largest movements in the world 
Hillsong is absolutely falling to pieces. Let me tell you why. Because the principles that Christ laid down for, for the church were not there. And there is no protection from the onslaught of the gates of hell unless you follow the pattern which is shown to you in the mountain. There's going to be a whole bunch more that fall. Oh, it looks like they've got it going. It looks like Bethel. They've just got the world in their hand. But that thing's going to come unraveled sooner or later because they have no protection from the gates of hell unless they have done it according to the way the Lord laid the church down. Can everybody say amen? I hope you understand that. I'm not just, you know, hoping that people fail. But I'm hoping that churches that do not align with what Jesus laid down, I hope they fail. Like, I'm, I'm with Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh said, I hope our president fails. It was Obama. I hope he fails. Not because he wanted to see trouble in America, but because the policies that he was putting in place were going to ruin America. And the policies that the church is putting in place all over is going to ruin the church, but not the true church. The true church will continue to go on because the gates of hell will not prevail against that which God has established. <clears throat> so this chapter 11, Luke gives us this beautiful record of the early church. We don't have any other writings. We have only Luke. It's called the book of Acts, the, or they call it the Acts of the Apostles. Somebody named it that, but most of these books didn't even have a heading. They just wrote them. And so Luke's work, his record here, the book of Acts about the early church. By the time the 11th chapter had rolled around, the second chapter to 38 and down to the end of that chapter, we got those six things that the church was established in. By the time we get to the 11th chapter, the first of the 11th chapter starts out with the, the dispersion of the Christian brothers out of Jerusalem because of the, the uh, thing that happened with Stephen. And it was starting to boil. The Jews were, were bringing attack on the Christian church. They may have for a while just pacified. We find out that early, early on, they still went into the temple. They still went into the synagogues. But now in the 11th chapter, they've killed Stephen, and they're looking to do it again. And so there is this dispersion that takes place, and people begin to leave, begin to move out. Chapter 11 deals with with uh, this concern. And, and then it, it also mentioning in this, there's a concern in the Roman Empire about this new religion called Christianity. <coughs> if you read about it, and I know Dustin loves history, and I know he's read about this some, but one of the things that really worried the Roman Empire was and their collapse was this new religion. This new religion, they wouldn't worship the gods. They didn't believe that Caesar was God. They wouldn't bow before Caesar. They wouldn't bow before the gods, the Roman gods. 
They wouldn't worship on their holidays. They do now, but they wouldn't then. The early church didn't worship with the Romans and the pagans. They only worshiped the Lord, period. Everybody say amen. Now, we've taken it in hand, you know. We changed that around, so we, not we. A lot of people worship the Roman stuff. I don't worship that. But this became this concern, and so the gospel had expanded from Jerusalem. And Jesus said it would, right? He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what was happening now, especially because of the dispersion now. The gospel is going out into Syria, and it's reaching, which is now modern Turkey. But it's reaching out into the other parts of the world. It's been in Jerusalem, and then it's spread about into the countryside, Judea, Samaria. We know Philip was at Samaria. And then it just began to grow and to grow. And this became a concern. Don't you think that the, the uh, governors of these regions were reporting in to their authorities in Rome, found out that, that this religion seemed to begin to take over. And so... Now there are these dispersed Christian saints that end up in Antioch, Antioch, Syria. Um, they're afraid to go back. They, they've been run out of their, their homes, their country, and now, but they regroup. They regroup in Antioch. And I love this because what you're going to see, if you read this chapter, what you're going to see is in their regrouping, guess what they did? They did the same thing that they started with. Those six principles, those six foundational things, we find those in the 11th chapter when they got to Antioch. And, and Barnabas goes and gets Paul, and Paul comes down, and the two of them, they are ministering in that church for one whole year. They are established. Prophets came down. It said prophets and prophets came down out of Jerusalem and out of the Judean churches and came down to them. And, and there was evangelists there that were, it, it was just like, hey, this is deja vu. This is Jerusalem church all over again in Antioch. Because there's only one formula that's going to work. It has to look like what the Lord established in the first. In order for our church to be successful, a 100% successful rate, we have to look like what Jesus established in the early church. And we could say, you know, I've heard that the term early church, it just goes everywhere. I mean, we just... People have all kinds of ideas. But let's get down to the scripture and see what the church was really doing. And we've read that and we've looked at that. And now we have to say to ourselves, is that where we want to stay? Or do we need to go further? Is that where we should be? Or should we be less than that? Is there some things that we can cut out of what they did in the early church? Well, I think it would be the same as if Moses cut out the... Oh, he decided he wasn't going to have the menorah anymore. Let's just take that out. The Lord doesn't need that. But God designed it to put it in there. Well, we don't need all that shoe bread now. Let's just get rid of the shoe bread. Let's do something else. But God had designed it just like 
Do you think that he had any less providence over his early church than he did over a tabernacle in the wilderness, which was only just a type of what was to come? This is the main thing that the Lord had established. It come down to this. It's the church. <clears throat> so he establishes it right. Can you say amen? I'm reiterating that point just a little bit. So Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul are there. They're teaching for a whole year. Here's the cherry on the cake. This is a good one. And in Antioch, the King James Version says, they were first called Christians in Antioch. So I'm, I'm look, you know me. That's not good enough. I, this word doesn't look like the word used to call. So I'm looking at this Greek word. It's not. This word means the name that you have accepted to do business. When we got together, what are we going to name this thing? Uh, Kincaid, let's put Kincaid in that thing. Builders. Kincaid Builders. Just recently, and, and I addressed it wrong the other day, but Austin, they put their business together, and, and I call it framing pros. Not, no, not framing pros. Building pros. And you go under that name. This is the Greek word. And any commentary will say, and the Gentiles called them Christians. No, they called themselves Christians. We're taking on the name of Christianity to show the world we're doing business under the name of Jesus Christ. The church is about Jesus Christ. The church is going to be successful in Jesus Christ. And so they adopt that name upon themselves and it's the first time they had done that. And man, I'm going to tell you what, that spread like wildfire. That word is still in conversation all over the world. Christianity, because real Christianity looks like the Jerusalem church, which looks like the Antioch church, which looks like the real church happening in this day. There's a lot of stuff calls itself Christianity that is not that is not along the lines that God laid his church down to be. Ah, thank you, Lord. So, the prophet Agabus, I don't know if he was a resident there or he had come down, one of the prophets, I don't know. But anyway, the Spirit of the Lord moves on him. There's going to be a famine, uh, a worldwide famine which is going to affect Jerusalem and Judea. The brethren in Judea, the land of Israel, is going to go, get under a real hard time. So I look in history, and that's exactly what happened. But they go to the church. He prophesies in the church. What does the church do about it? Oh, Lord, help them out. I know they're going through a rough time. No. No. As many of you as God has blessed, we're going to bless the church of Judea. See, giving is in the heart of the church. And I say this often, I believe it, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Just givers and takers, that's it. 
And you need to figure out which one you are. There's just givers and takers. Let me tell you something in the kingdom of God. There's just one kind of, one kind of people, and that's givers. They collect this money. I'm going to guess that it's a major sum. I'm, I'm going to guess. He wouldn't go down there with 20 bucks. He's got a, Paul and Barnabas, they deliver it in their hands. They're going to take it down to the Brethren Presbytery down in, in Judea. And so they probably didn't go down with 20 bucks. You know, that's not going to take care of too many people for too long. They collected some money. And down they go. I'm going to tell you what. This church, we can look at the Jerusalem church and see what they did. But we can look at the Antioch church and say, this is the same picture of what we saw in the early church. And so there's, there's something here that caught my interest. The scripture says that it happened in the time of Claudius Caesar. Wow, that interests me. Dustin, I have in my hands, Rush used to say, formerly nicotine stained, but I didn't smoke, so. But I have in my hands two coins this morning. This one is Augustus, Caesar Augustus. This coin. Is 2,000 years old. We know there was a Caesar Augustus. I've got him in my hand. The Bible is so accurate. Let every man be a liar and God be the truth. The Bible is so accurate. It's just... You know, there were things in the Bible that they said didn't happen, and then later they found them in, you know, excavations. They, they you know, found different things around the country of Israel that, that proved some of the things. And so that's, um, here, I'm going to just, yeah, let's just spread it around. We'll do a little, just look at it and pass it on. Yeah. Don't keep it now. I want, I want it back. But I hold in my hand the coin of Caesar Claudius. I knew I had them in a safe somewhere, so I just dug them out and show and tell here this morning. Remember how you used to go to school and you'd bring something and show it to all the kids? Well, that's what we're doing here. So just pass that around, Carrie. That's 2,000 years old. During the time of Caesar Claudius, who is the offspring of Caesar Augustus. It's amazing thing how God sets up things. It's amazing that the birth of Christ is under Caesar Augustus, the death of Christ under Tiberius Caesar. Caesar Augustus is from 31 BC to 14 CE, a common era. Then Tiberius, he is from 14 to 37, he's the emperor. Caesar Caligula is from 37 to 41. Caesar Claudius 
the one in the scripture right here, is from 41. He began his, his reign, his emperorship, in 41 CE to 54. So now, my point in this is that we have a prophecy, and a prophecy says there's going to be a great famine in Judea. And through historic record, we can trace that famine that happened. God is right every time. I mean, it's just foolish for us to think God doesn't know what he's doing. And so, <coughs> history has placed this famine between 44 and 46. Guess who was the emperor? Who was the Caesar? Claudius. Just like Luke said. Somebody said, you know, they were trying to pin Luke down and say that he got his figures wrong. And whoever is doing that, I'm going to look them in the face and say, no, you've got your figures wrong. He was there and you're not. Don't you love history revisionists? Aren't they just wonderful? They're going to tell you now what happened 150 years ago with Abraham Lincoln and people that were there wrote about it, but they're writing now about what happened then. That's crazy. The Bible is right before anybody gets their pen out. And so I said all that to say this and pass the coins around to say this. Let's say if the famine happened in 44, then the prophecy may have been at the end of 43. The church had already been established. It was established from roughly 28 to 30. We don't know exactly the year that the Lord died, but we're saying from 28 to 30 roughly. We have a 13 to 15 year window of the church in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. And this is what's beautiful. I'm going to hit another gear here in a minute. I want to encourage the church right now because there's a falseness that's gone out and I want to talk about that. But this church in 15 years from the Acts 2.38 to Acts 11 and Claudius has not wavered at all on the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Fifteen years of trouble, trial. Fifteen years of hatred against them. Fifteen years now they have been, they've been run out, they've been accused, some of them have been slain. But yet their doctrine, their foundational belief, their principles have not changed. They are the same church that they were back in Jerusalem 15 years later. This gives me a thrill in my spirit. And I want to let you know that that church which God established in Jerusalem and in Antioch, he never planned to change the format. We're the people that decided to change the rules. Not God. Can everybody say amen? Everybody having fun yet? You still got my coins? Don't let Frank put them in his pocket there. No, no. Just kidding, Frank. 
So now I want to talk about this, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change this a little bit because the book of Acts writes about those 15 years. In 15 years, now get this, in 15 years, there are nine notable, wondrous events that happened in 15 years. And, and I've got a point in this. I believe God can do something today and do it again tomorrow. I believe he could do it in rapid succession. He can do, space it out. He can do whatever he wants to do. If there was a miraculous event that happened in those 15 years, I do believe that Luke would have recorded that. And so we have nine of them. I want to go through them real quick. Peter and John with the lame man at the temple. Silver and gold have we none. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The second one, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias walks in and, and Peter said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Spirit. You have lied to the Spirit. And he fell over dead. His wife came in, same thing. Thirdly, many miracles took place at the hands of the apostles. Insomuch as at some point... They laid people in the street so that even their shadow would fall on them. The fourth thing was an angel came down and let the apostles out of prison. They had arrested them. They were going to do them harm. And God sent his angel and let them out of that prison. The next one is the ordeal of Stephen. Even though it's not a wondrous miracle, yet it was a, an event that was so mighty that it shook the church. It, it, that's the reason why they had been dispersed. But yet this Stephen ordeal was great enough to write about. Six is Philip's revival in Samaria. This is the sixth thing that that Luke recorded for us about the early church, his revival in Samaria, great revival. And then, then at the end of that, he went down and, and, and Pastor Ron preached so beautifully about, about the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip ministered to. <clears throat> the seventh is the conversion of Saul. Howbeit, it's not so much miraculous to us as it was to him that a great light knocked him off of his horse and he fell down to the earth. And he found who it was that he was trying to persecute. The eighth one, Peter finally went out of hometown a little bit and got to Lydda. Or Lydda. And at Lydda there was a man named Aeneas. Aeneas was a crippled man. And he said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And he was healed. Then they took him to the house of Dorcas. A great woman of the Lord who had done much for the church and she had passed away and Peter raised her up to life. These are great, great miracles. The last one, the ninth one, is Cornelius and what happened with Cornelius and Peter and the church and God receiving the Gentiles. Everybody say nine. Nine notable, fantastic miracles. Let me tell you something now. 
I want to get to the church, okay? He's all right. He's, he's my buddy. Help me preach, man. Nine miracles, nine wonders in 15 years, 13 to 15 years. 1.5 wondrous miracles per year. As Pentecostals, we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been told, and Bethel says this, is that miracles, signs, and wonders are commonplace for the church. According to the scripture, they are not. They are special events. Well, if you don't have miracle signs and wonders and following you and, and, and then you're not, no, 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 no. So you're not looking at history. You're not looking at the establishing of the church. You're not looking at what God does in his own timing, in his own plan. We get ahead of God. We're going to do things. Don't go out and try and do things. Don't, don't just get a, you know, a burr in your saddle and you're just going to go and do. Don't do that. Because the church is not about that. I'm sorry, this may be a little contradictory to what we felt all of our life, but 1.5 great miracles in a year. <coughs> that doesn't seem like much. In fact, I may even have my math wrong. It's the other way. 0.75 miracles in a year. Can you live on 0.75 miracles a year in your Christian life? That's the question. Boy, I'll tell you what. You want to grow a church, I'll tell you, man, what you got to do. You got to have get people in here, get some signs and wonders going. That's not what the early church did. What were they doing during the rest of the year when they didn't have but one miracle, what are they doing the rest of the year? Well, I'll tell you what, boy, unless we see the power of God moving, well, maybe we don't understand the power of God. Maybe what we're looking for is to get all the miracles right now and then live for 25 years without any miracles. See, those claiming that the early church lived every day on miracle signs and wonders being commonplace are misrepresenting true Christianity. I'm going to tell you why. God ordained this thing that certain times and in certain opportunities. Is everybody okay? Jesus went to a pool of Bethesda. There was a plethora of people laying on the ground waiting to get in the pool. When the waters were agitated, and somebody said, oh, that, that was just a parable. Well, the Lord didn't know it, but he walked right into the middle of a parable. The scripture said he went to the pool that was by the sheep gate. It wasn't no parable. He saw a man there that had been lame, for 38 years and had compassion on one man. He walked by, I don't know how many, to get to the one man. Well, what kind of a Lord is that? I thought he went about just healing everybody. Anybody and everybody. All, no, no, no. He took opportunity and timing to do what he wanted to do. And the church 
There is no way that God is working that way now. He is using time and opportunity to perform what he wants to perform. And the church is so nervous, especially the Pentecostal church. We're so nervous. We have to have a move. And if we don't, we're going to make one up. We're going to get all beside ourselves. We'll get the music louder. We'll get the drums going bigger. We'll get the bass going. We'll get everybody on the edge of pandemonium and screaming and yelling and jumping. And listen, I want to tell you something. When God does a thing, it's time to run and jump. But it's not time to run and jump if God hasn't done a thing. Let's try and fabricate something, you know, to make our neighbors look like something's really happening out here. I'll tell you what, this is the latest thing. This is the latest move of God. No, that's not how he works. Let me tell you why. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight, you're not going to be a Christian long. There's just too many things that will disappoint you. And I prayed and I prayed and nothing happened. Right. It wasn't time. And I prayed and, 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 and look, that person, they got that and they got that. And look at me. Poor me. Just, you know, I just can't hardly do this and I just can't do it anymore because God's not blessing me like he's blessing others. We walk by faith and not by sight. There are times and seasons in the time of the church. And when God gets ready, he's going to do the miraculous. And until he is ready to do it, there is no way we can fabricate that. So what was the early church up to in Antioch? What were they doing? Man, they were living by miracles. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it simply says that Paul and Barnabas taught for a year. How do you like that one? Okay, this time we'll do the miracle next year. You're going to be taught for a year. You're going to come to church and learn and learn. 52 Sundays, 52 Sunday nights, 52 Wednesday nights, and you're just going to learn and going to learn. Can you do it? If you're going to be like the early church, you're going to do it. Because God is going to institute his miracles when he's ready to do it. I found that true in my life. How many of you have found that to be the truth? Yeah. So, I want you to know this right now. If you come into this church, and we love you. We love you. We love everybody here. This is one of the most loving churches. Pat yourself on the back, will you? Just loving churches. We love people here. We do. We don't agree on every single thing. I mean, some. Some of you guys don't like cowboy boots. It's okay. We love you. You'll get better. You know? But we love each other here. We, we, we enjoy each other's fellowship. We, we, we have a community here. That same word, koinonia. You know, we have that community feeling here because we love each other. But, but I want to tell you something. You might come to church here for a while and not see a sign or a wonder. Sorry, I am not a charlatan, and I am not going to fool you. I'm not going to put on a pretense of a miracle when a miracle hasn't happened. I'm not going to put on a pretense of a sign and a wonder so that the crowd can go, wow, we had a sign and a wonder down there. I'll tell you what, that Pastor Rod, he's really something. Yeah, I'm really something in myself. 
But if God does a sign and a wonder, if God does a miracle, it may not be this year. So what does the church do in the meantime? Well, we're just waiting for that sign and wonder. Now, what do we do in the meantime? I think you know where we're going. See, time can elapse between a great move. So what do we do as the ecclesia? Ecclesia, what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you what we do. And I'm going to go through this and I'm going I'm to end it. I'm going to tell you what we do. Because it might be while we're praising God. See, we don't know times and we don't know opportunities. But it just might be while we're praising God that the glory of the Lord comes in this place like it happened this morning and God begins to move your heart such a way that you really feel like the Lord has come to minister to you. And so therefore, we will continually continue steadfastly in praising Him. See, it might be while we're praying. It could be over in the four-cornered groups. While we're praying, one of the brothers, you know, just, just some of our presbytery here, just, just crying out for the Lord. It might be during that time that God changes a circumstance, that God removes a problem, that God heals a person. It could be during that time. So because of that, we will continue steadfastly to continue to pray. And it could be while we're listening to the apostolic teaching. The New Testament, the whole thing, is written by the apostles and the ministers of God. And it could be that while we're listening to that, that something happens inside of our our heart and the light of revelation of Jesus Christ comes on so strong in us that we are changed permanently. It has happened to me. I know it can happen to you. So because of that, we will continue steadfastly to preach this gospel of Jesus Christ. It could be while we're sitting in Koinonia, one of those 15 minutes before church, hour and a half after church, or it could be at one of those picnic dinners that we have in here, that you're so broke down and you just need a brother to say the right thing. And that brother shares with you during a time of koinonia and your heart is healed and you feel better and God helps you and strengthens you. And because of that, we will stand steadfastly and continue in what we call koinonia. Maybe while we're taking the Lord's Supper, maybe then something will click in somebody's heart. It breaks my heart. I see the Lord and His passion. I see the Lord going through what He went through for us. He said, take that cup because I want you to remember what the church is about. 
The church is bought. The church is paid for. And with his own blood, Acts 20, 28, God bought the church with his own blood. And I don't want you to forget the blood. And so because of that, we will continue steadfastly in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Can everybody say amen? And so maybe, maybe it's in the opportunity of giving that God is going to pour something out. Church of Antioch, what do they care about what happens in Judea? They're in Antioch. What does it matter to them? Oh no, that's our brothers over there. And we're going to send to help them. And as I was thinking about this, the Lord reminded me of something. This isn't to brag. This isn't to put us on a pedestal. This is to say, this is what needs to go on in the house of God. About eight months ago, brothers in the faith down in Mexico, they weren't in Judea and we weren't in Antioch. We were in Claremore and they were down in Mexico held at gunpoint lost their house lost all their possessions and it smote my heart I said we got to do something we got to do something and this church acted like an Antioch church and raised up $14,000 to send to them, not even knowing you people don't even know who they are. And got them another house and another place to live. And I want to tell you this. I believe because we got them a house that God got us a house. And we're here this morning to do what God has commissioned for the church to do. And we're here on this gorgeous property that looks like a park. We're establishing something here that is going to be long range. If we can do it the way that God would have us do it, we're doing it for our children. We're doing it for our grandchildren. As long as we can keep it together, if we can do it the way God said to do it, we're debt free. We owe no one nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who has given this is how the church should operate. I think we're learning that just simply following Jesus means just do what he says. Just do it his way. Why do we want to do church and try and do something other than what he's established? Just do it. The way he's established it. This simple obedience to the Lord. He has a preordained design. We don't need to design anything. So we got in here and this building, you know, was all, can't see it now, but didn't have no walls. And so we got, what are we going to do, you know? We dropped some walls and we put up some walls and we did all kinds of stuff. Thank you. This last week, this great transformation took place. This thing turned from ugly pink to white. To the, to the, to, uh, it just totally looks different. And so Rodney and Little Rod and all them that were painting and everybody that was helping, God bless you so much. But I'll tell you what, it's not about that. 
It's about this. Are we going to keep the covenants that God already laid down? Or are we going to invent new things? It's the problem with the church. Coming up with new stuff. Forgetting the old stuff. Got the pluses and minuses again. Dropping things off. Any church that drops off the principles of God is not his church. Any church is this strong. Boy, I tell you, God, have patience, you know, and help us. But we don't want to add to either. We want to keep it right, right where he put it. Amen. So see, what he built was intended to last past the end of the earth. It's a kingdom with no end. Can you say amen? It's a kingdom with no end. Now, you've heard this old thing, truth is marching on, right? See, truth is marching on no matter who joins with truth. It doesn't affect the truth. The truth is always the truth. So there's people that get in line and then they jump out. And some get in line, some get out. And... But the truth, it doesn't affect it. So is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some get in, some get out. Some want to take a turn and the church is going straight. And that's the way it happens. But those who align with what God has already laid down, His truth that He's already laid down, are coming into a kingdom with no end. Can you say amen? The glorious kingdom of God. Amen. You can stand with me. We're done. Uh, Lindy, Lind, Lindell Cooley. He sings this song, and once in a while I have to play it. In fact, I played it this morning. His throne will last forever. His throne will last forever. People won't. Churches won't. But His throne will last forever. If we can get to where His throne is, to where His glory is, to where His purpose is, to what He planned in the earth, that's going to last forever. Lord, we just thank you now. God, we pray that what we've said this morning would just encourage this body, this church. Lord, rearrange our ideas. We need them rearranged sometimes, Lord. We get these ideas about what we think about this and that. But you have already laid down what you want principally out of your body. And Lord, we contend to stand steadfastly in that. If you'll give us the help and the grace. We'll just simply follow you, Jesus. And all the church said, Amen.